Well, hey there. Welcome to the online podcast services of Sandy Plains Baptist Church. My name is Chris Howe, and I am the senior pastor. In fact, some of you may not know this, but this is my first Sunday with Sandy Plains after transitioning from First Baptist Rock Hill. So I'm excited about being here. I'm excited about what God's going to do in and through this place, and uh, I'm just excited. And so as I'm coming in, uh, I've been looking at different things, researching uh, Sandy Plains before I ever uh, felt like God was calling me here. And as I was looking at things, I was looking at what does it take or what does it mean to do a church relaunch or uh, perhaps a church revitalization? And Dr. Al Moeller, who is the president of Southern Seminary, had some good writing on it. I began reading it, measuring it against God's word, looking at other things. And in the process of that, I've come up with a six-week series that I've entitled Time Has Come. And so one of the very first things that um, when you're looking at church revitalization, church relaunching, is making sure that you have vision. Um, I I used to kid my mom because by her own admission, she was blind in one eye and could not see out the other. And when we would get in trouble, it was uh, was not really a big deal. I had a sister that was three years younger. I had a brother that was three years older. And uh, whenever we get in trouble, we'd just take off running 15 feet down the hallway and find a spot where there wasn't a whole lot of light, tuck into it, get real still, and she would never see us. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. But seriously, she couldn't see a lick. Uh, not to be outdone, my mother-in-law used to travel a lot with her business. And um, once out of town, she stayed at an Embassy Suites. And so if you've ever stayed at an Embassy Suite, you know they have a pretty good breakfast buffet. Um, her and her coworkers got up uh, one morning, went down to the breakfast buffet. They began to fill up their plates. And my mother-in-law said when she got to the end of the breakfast buffet, she noticed that there were these donuts there. She thought, that'll go well with my coffee. She put one on her plate went and sat down at the table, and as she was finishing up her breakfast, decided to dive into that donut. She took a bite, and she commented to her fellow worker, she's like, man, this thing's hard as a rock. They looked at her like she was crazy, probably somewhat like I do sometimes, and they said, Beth, that is a rock. (laughs) My mother-in-law picked up a rock that was used for decoration at the end of that breakfast buffet and thinking it was a donut. Um, So she was pretty blind as well. But about 10 years ago, I went to the eye doctor, and as I was sitting in the eye doctor's office, uh, he began asking me about my vision. Did I have any issues? And I said, Doc, everything's good. I I can read whatever I want to read. I said, but I have noticed at night, if I'm looking at a sign that's far off, I said, the letters aren't as crisp as I remember them being. I can read it. I know exactly what it says, even the smaller letters, but it's just not real crisp. He did that whole machine in front of me, like which one's better, one or two, B or C, A or D, how about now, what about this one? We did that whole gamut of tests, and before it was all said and done, I walked out of that doctor's office with a brand new pair of glasses. About a year later, um, or about a year ago, rather, I went to the optometrist. The doc did the same thing. How's your vision? I said, doc, as long as I'm wearing these glasses, it's good. But I have begun to notice that if I'm holding my Bible or holding some notes or holding a magazine, and I'm looking down at it, everything seems to look a little bit fuzzy. He did the whole machine thing again, which one's better, this one, that one, this one, this one, that one, which one's better, A, B, 1, 2, C, D. And before it was all over and said, I walked out of his office with a brand new pair, yep, bifocals. So enough of the you're blind as a bat jokes. You're not getting those from me anymore. But vision's important, isn't it? I mean, it comes down to that age-old question that sometimes people sit around and ask, like, which would you rather be? Would you rather be blind or would you rather be deaf? For me, absolutely, I would rather be deaf than to be blind. And here's the reason why, because at 51, I couldn't imagine living life with never seeing the beauty of my wife. 
never seeing the beauty of my daughters or of my grandson, never getting to see the beauty of the things in this world that are, that are God-made in nature or even man-made because there's some beautiful things out there. But vision's also important in the life of a church. Scripture says in Proverbs 29, where there is no vision, the people will perish. So for the next six weeks, we're going to be looking at a series, again, that I've entitled Time Has Come. We'll look at the six ideas as we think about what is ahead for us as a church, and we'll see not only how they apply as a church, but how do they apply to us individually as a believer in Christ. The very first thing is finding a new vision. That's what we're going to talk about today. Knowing our strategic focus, a new passion for the gospel, a hunger for the preaching of God's word, a genuine love for our community, and a new excitement about changed lives. So this morning, we're going to be in the book of Nehemiah. And man, if you're a pastor who wants to talk about building things and coming into a new church, this is the go-to book. So if you have your copy of God's Word today, flip to about the middle of the Old Testament and to the book of Nehemiah, and we'll be in chapters 1 and 2. Nehemiah was written by the name man that is named after. He, he wasn't a priest, he wasn't a prophet, but a layman. He held a very prestigious position in the Persian Empire in that he was King Artaxerxes' cupbearer. Now, cupbearer is just a fancy term for a guy who, when the drink was brought out, he had to take the first drink. When the food was brought out, he had to take the first bite. Because as long as he didn't die, then the king knew that he, whatever it was, he could partake of it. The book was written just sometime after 430 BC, but the events in the book take place from 440 BC up until about 430 BC. So with this in mind, let's look at Nehemiah chapter one, verses one through three. Now it happened in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, while I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers and some men from Judah came. And I asked them about the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity and about Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and disgrace. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Pray with me. Father God, we love you and thank you for the day. Thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to meet here in this online platform. Lord, I thank you for your word. And I pray that as we divide it, I pray that we would do it correctly and that God, you would speak to us. Tell us what it is that we need to know individually and collectively as a body. And may we be obedient to do it. Lord, we love you and say these things in the precious name of Christ. Amen. Nehemiah, a cupbearer, a layman, notice that I didn't use the word just. I did not say just a cupbearer or just a layman. See, in God's economy, there's no such thing as just this or just that. We are all someone special to him and to his mission. You are not just a teacher, not just a secretary, not just a stay-at-home mom, not just a salesman, not just a retiree, not just someone who serves in the military, not just a student, not just an athlete. You are someone special, and God created you in his image, and we must not ever forget that. Here, God has Nehemiah in the right place at the right time. This is also true for you and I. We are not just, and God has you and I in the right place at the right time. You know, you may feel like it's not true, uh, that you're not being used for anything significant, but man, God's got a plan for you, so you better hold on. This is, all true. This is also true for Sandy Plains. We are here today at the right place at the right time, and we must never forget this truth. In verses 1 through 3, Nehemiah gets a report from his brothers and some other men on the condition of Jerusalem. You know, I, I can only imagine what it would be like if someone attended this church in the year 2000. They went away to another place, and they came back 22 years later. And as they came back in 2022, they, they looked at what they saw, and they went back to where they came from and gave a report. 
They said, Jerusalem is in a mess. The people who have survived captivity are in great distress and their facilities need repair. Stop me if this begins to sound a little bit familiar. Nehemiah has heard the problems that are plaguing a place that he loves dearly. And in verses four through six, we see his immediate response to what he's heard. It says, now when I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and mourned for days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I said, please, Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps the covenant and faithfulness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now, day and night, on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants. Nehemiah was broken. And I'm sure that some of you are broken for the state of the church. And I'm also sure that some of you are broken about yourselves. But church, our first response should not be to change programs. It should not be to build buildings. It should not be to revamp music or redesign our chair layout. Our first response corporately and individually should be to pray. 1 John 5.14 says this, This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us. Yet Chris has some ideas, and I'm sure that you have some ideas for this church, and I am almost positive there are people who no longer go here anymore that still have ideas for this place. But all that doesn't matter. All that matters is what God's ideas are. He says that if we pray according to his will, and Jesus did this in the Garden of Gethsemane before he went to Calvary. He, he said, God, not my will, but your will be done. Was God's will and Jesus' will always the same? Will our will and, and God's will always be the same? Well, I think we see a little bit of this in the same passage of Scripture where Jesus is still in the garden, and he says, if this cup can pass before me. See, Jesus is saying there's another way other than me dying a cruel death on that cross for humanity to be redeemed and brought back in a right relationship with you. If there's any other way, can we talk about it? But Jesus was also obedient to the Father's will. And guess what? We should be too. So trust me when I say that every step that we take here at Sandy Plains, every step that Chris takes, and every step that you take as a believer should always be preceded in prayer. We can choose what we want to do and when we want to do it, but let's be honest. God has a plan, and if we're not talking to him, well, the lack of communication is going to lead to some difficult times. Not only did Nehemiah pray, but it's important to look at the substance of his prayer. In the end of verse 6 through the beginning of verse 8, we hear what that was. It says, In confessing the sins of the sons of Israel which we have committed against you, I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances which you have commanded your servant Moses. Remember, please, the word which you have commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. The substance of Nehemiah's prayer was the condition of his own heart and the heart of his people. See, so many times we come to God asking for this or for that. Perhaps we, we get it right and we even ask in his will that it be done. However, we don't take a look at ourselves in the mirror and ask God to deal with what he sees and what we know to be true deep on the inside. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 40 says this, let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Paul says this to the church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. 
Or do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you? See, this is the beginning of salvation. Understanding who God is compared to who we are. He is holy and righteous and clean, but we are broken and dirty and sinful in our lives. But he desires not to leave us that way. That's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, to be raised again on the third day so that you and I could be made right with him. So many people's lives would be different if we would just stop and be honest with the messes that we made of our lives and confess that mess to him. Repent, which is just another word for turn the other way. It's a 180 degree change from what we are doing. Nehemiah saw this and knew that it needed to be done before he could go any further. And then in verse 8 through 9, Nehemiah says this, Remember, please, the word which you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you amongst the people. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though those of you who have been scattered were in the most remote parts of the heavens, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place where I've chosen to have my name dwell. A life lived apart from Christ and lived outside of his will leads to chaos. Trust me, in the summer of 1999, I attended a World Changers in Baltimore, Maryland. I'd been teaching sixth grade boys and got invited to go on this mission trip, and I had no idea that World Changers was going to be about changing my world, not the world of the people that we were working to help. God had been working on my heart during the week, and he had been calling me into the ministry, but let's just be honest, I was making good money for my age. My family was taken care of. I felt a position in the ministry. Couldn't provide the same, and so I said no. I discounted it to bad camp food. That next year of my life was nothing but chaos. I went from the job and the money that I treasured to another job and money that I treasured, only for it not to feel right and eventually having to quit to go back on that mission trip again the next summer. It wasn't a pleasant time in my life, and it wasn't a pleasant time in my family's life. Chaos reigned for a year. In chapter 2, we hit a transition. We were moving from Nehemiah learning of the problem, being broken about it, praying and dealing with his personal life before seeking God's will, to now acting on it. As the commercial says, it was time to just do it. Nehemiah had a vision to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem and rebuild the gates. And it seems kind of trivial to some of us when we read it that 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 would be a, a desire to go rebuild the wall and rebuild the gates. But it was very significant to them and to him. If your home had no walls or doors, it wouldn't feel much like yours, would it? People would just come and go out of it, go through it as they wished. People would say it's mine when it's not theirs. They would just take over possession. The same things with our county, our state, our country. Without entry and exit points, walls and gates, we sacrifice some sovereignty. So it was important for Nehemiah to build these walls and gates, and that was his vision. We'll learn later in the series that God also gave him a plan of how to do that. But for right now, we're just talking about that vision. So what's the vision for Sandy Plains? Well, I'm glad you asked. Although I do not believe it's a new in the sense that I'm the first one to ever that this has ever been revealed to, I do believe it to be a new vision for where we are today. I've been saying this phrase ever since about middle of my tenure at my very first church in student ministry. And I, and I believe it to be true today that here's what the vision should be, to love God, love others, and serve the world. Let me, let me say it again. Love God, love others, and serve the world. And see, that, that's a simple phrase that you and I should be able to know and repeat at any time when asked without hesitation and with great clarity. What is Sandy Plains about? What, what is Chris Howe about? Man, I'm, I want to be about loving God, loving others, and serving the world. So let's break that down. What does it mean to love God? 
There's a story in Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25, about a lawyer who stands before Jesus. And he asks, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, if we were asking this question today, it would be, hey, what do I got to do to be saved? The answer comes from the law, meaning the Old Testament. We see this in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. But we also see it in the New Testament in Luke chapter 10, verse 27, where it says this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. You and I, if we're going to carry out this new vision of loving God, we must make sure that we've settled this question. See, our our salvation, when we say we love God, we say we love him, and it should be because we love him because we have a personal relationship with him. But we can't say, you know what, I think I do. No, that I think I do mentality is not going to work. It's going to have to be I know I do. People would always ask sometimes, like, how do I know if I'm truly saved? The answer was always the same. I'm not here to judge your heart, so I can't tell you whether you are or you aren't. I can tell you that God's word says that it is evident by the fruit in your life. So if you have no fruit, maybe you have no root, which is salvation. But I can also tell you that if you keep doing the same sins over and over and over with no remorse, no regret, not without the Holy Spirit convicting you of what you're doing, then you probably don't have a relationship with Christ. But you need to make that decision. But The number one thing, the vision here and the vision for me is to love God. The second one is to love others. We are called to love others inside the church and outside the church. It sounds radical, doesn't it? I mean, what would this church, this community, this nation, this world look like if we all loved one another? I didn't say agree with one another. We're never all going to agree. We're not going to agree with inside of our family. We're not going to agree with each other inside of church. And we're not always going to agree with each other in this world. That is very evident in many of the things that we do. But it does say that we are to love one another. So what does that mean? What does that look like? In 1 Corinthians, Paul, again, writing to the church of Corinth in his first letter in chapter 12, talks about the use of spiritual gifts and spiritual gifts and inside the church body, what they are and what they look like. But then in chapter 13, he makes this transition, still talking to the church. I need you to hear me on the back row. He is still talking to the church. This is not a nice little message for somebody who's getting married, which is what it gets used a lot for. This is for the church. And he talks about love. He says this in 13 verse one, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Paul was trying to tell the church, you can do all these things. You can run all these programs. You can build all these buildings. You can get all this money. You can do all these things. But if you don't have love, it's nothing. In God's economy, it means nothing. So what does this love look like? He goes on in verse four and begins to describe it. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love does not brag and it is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. He says that it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. He says, love never fails. So we're to love God and we're to love others. And then finally, we're to serve the world. Man, serve 
the world. What does that look like? I like to put it in relationship to people who we see serve tables at a restaurant. Um, when you go over to your grandmother's house and your grandmother's busy about making sure that you're taken care of, that that's what serving looks like. Uh, in thinking about servers, um, it's kind of interesting when you talk to servers in a restaurant. I get a chance to do that quite a bit. Um, but when you're talking to them, you ask them, ask them next time, what is your least favorite day to work? They'll tell you it's Sunday. You know why? Because they said Sunday at about 12, 15 and on, they get the church crowd in. And they say the church crowd is the meanest crowd that they serve all week. They're very demanding, very whiny. They don't tip. They're rude, obnoxious, leave a mess. I mean, you, you name it. They'll give you every description of why they do not like serving the church crowd. However, as God's disciples, we're to look more like Christ and less like ourselves. I am to look more like Christ and less like Chris. So to do that, yeah, we need to develop the qualities and characteristics of Christ in us. And we also need to let him hammer out all those things in us that are not of him. But we also need to do what Christ came to do. If we're going to model our life after him and look more like him and less like us, we need to do what he came to do. So what did he come to do? Mark chapter 10, verse 45 says this, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So what are we to do? What's the vision for Sandy Plains Baptist Church as Chris sees it? We are to love God, we are to love others, and we are to serve the world. And so as you think about that this week, I I pray that you'll come back next week as we dive more into what's going to be the focus. But until then, may God bless you. May you go out and live the principles that you've learned today.